There is, there's not a doubt in my mind that if every church in the world had the kind of youth that we do in their churches, that every pastor in the world would consider going to youth camp one of the highlights of their year because I receive so much more from the young people in this church than what I give, and I am so inspired by, by the faithfulness of God to us as a church and what he's done in placing a love for himself in the hearts of young people in this church. It is, I just look at it and think, that is not where I was when I was their age. And I marvel at the goodness of God to us and pray that it continues and deepens. My heart is so full. I sit there watching the video and hearing baptism testimonies with tears in my eyes. So affected by the goodness and faithfulness of God. There are few things that we desire more as a church than to see the young men and women of the church walking with the Lord and living for his glory. I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is an alphabetical psalm or an acrostic psalm, which means that each verse begins with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 34 our title is Learning the Fear of the Lord. Learning the Fear of the Lord. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous 
and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. May God bless the preaching of his word, and Lord, may your spirit be poured out upon us as we sit under your word that we might encounter you once again and be changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the psalm references an account in the life of David that's recorded in the book of 1 Samuel. David had killed Goliath of Gath, the great Philistine giant, and when he returned to Israel, it was basically like a Super Bowl parade. People came from all over, there was singing and dancing, and the people sang a song, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. For some reason, Saul was not a big fan of that song, and in fact, he was very angry and decided that he wanted David dead, and he tried to kill him. So, uh, David's best friend was Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. So, imagine your best friend's father is raving mad and seeking your death. Well, that's the situation that David found himself in. And so, Jonathan said to David, I'm sorry that my dad has snapped. You need to get out of here. And David was forced to flee, and eventually, in all of his fleeing, sought refuge in Gath, which is the land of the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 21, David appears before Achish, the king of Gath. He's also called Abimelech. The servants came to the king and was like, hey, this is the guy. This is the one who killed Goliath. And David was on enemy territory. He was understandably afraid that he would be treated as an enemy or a spy. And so this is what David did. 1 Samuel 21 verse 13. So he changed his behavior before him. That is David changed his behavior before the king and pretended to be insane in, the, in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. So he... He acted as if he was not mentally well. We don't know if David uh, rehearsed this particular routine before or practiced this at all, but it worked. And the king said, this guy is deranged. Why have you brought him to me? He actually said, do I lack madmen that you've brought this guy to behave as a madman in my presence? Like, do you think that what my life needs is more crazy people in it? 
And so David then in that moment, he escaped and he fled. And he was next in the cave of Adullam. And it may have been when he was in that cave that he wrote this psalm reflecting on his experience. David saw the hand of the Lord in his life. He knew that he had been rescued, not by his own doing, but by the hand of the Lord. It was the Lord who had saved him. It was the Lord who had delivered him and rescued him. And friends, we have ourselves experienced an even greater deliverance in Christ who died to set us free. And how should we, the redeemed of the Lord, how should we who have been rescued and saved respond? Well, we should resolve, as David did, to praise God at all times. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord, not just sometimes. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Okay, at all times means that worship is not confined to church on Sunday mornings. Worship is, worship is not confined to youth camp once a year. Worship is not confined to a monthly youth event. No, being a worshiper of God is not a part-time job. It encompasses all of life. And every single situation that comes your way in life, even the difficulties you presently face, every situation that comes your way is an opportunity to bless the Lord. David wants others to join him in praising the Lord because he has experienced the goodness of God. And so not only does he resolve to praise God, but also says in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He's calling the people of God. There in the cave, there were some 400 who were gathered to him. He was forming an army, and it would be an army that praised the name of the Lord. And he's recounting to them, the goodness of God he has experienced. There's a particular group that David desires to influence and instruct, and there's a particular topic that he has in view. Both are in verse 11, where he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you what? The fear of the Lord. Children there, uh, that word could be translated sons, and that word is used in Scripture of young men and young women of all ages, even through their 20s and beyond. It certainly includes those in their youth. So the picture here is of this warrior king gathering the next generation to himself, making time for young people because he recognizes their importance among the people of God. And in the same way, the church of Jesus Christ must make it our goal to influence and to win the youth for the glory of Jesus Christ. Too many churches, I find, don't care about the youth. They make no special efforts, and they do things that make it difficult for young people to feel at home in the church. When I was a teenager in a different church... Uh, someone complained when I preached in a shirt that wasn't 
tucked in. So never mind the fact that the next generation is showing a love for the Lord. What you're passionate about is the superficial and trivial matter of whether or not they have tucked in their shirts. And, <laughs> and apparently I'm still a little salty about it all. But we, but we process this with humility. You see the same thing in, in musical preference. You see it in other areas. Some, some dear older saints are eager to find fault in any youth who fall short of their own standards of decorum and conformity. Some have an inclination to be excessively hard on youth, looking down on them, keeping them in their place. And then we find ourselves confused and perplexed when young people don't seem to enjoy church and are not drawn to it. Young people are not just a part of our church family. Investing in them is a priority for us all. Like David, like David, we, we gather the youth and we say, come, young people, listen to us. Come and learn. Come and join the people of God. Come and hear the message of this glorious salvation of a Savior who died for sinners. Come and live these years of your life for the glory glory of the God who made you and who saved you in Christ. Calling youth to live for the glory of Christ. Commenting on this verse, it was Charles Spurgeon who says that teachers of youth belong to the noble class. He says their work is honorable and their reward shall be glorious. I feel like we have the best youth pastors in Leo and JT. And brothers, I trust you know your reward will be glorious. Your reward will be glorious for the impact that you have had in the lives of our children. A particular group David has in view, but not just a particular group, a particular topic. So when David gathers these young men and women, what does he teach them? Well, we saw it right there in verse 11. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I came across a brilliant comment from Matthew Henry, listen to what he says here. David was a famous musician, a statesman, political leader, a soldier. But he does not say to his children, I will teach you to play upon the harp, or to handle the sword or spear, or draw the bow, or I will teach you the maxims of state policy. But, what does he say? I will teach you the fear of the Lord which is better than all arts and sciences, better than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Yes, it is. The fear of the Lord is better than sports. The fear of the Lord is better than politics. The fear of the Lord is better than academics. Matthew Henry says, that is what we should desire, both to learn ourselves and to teach our children. I will teach them the fear of the Lord. He could have taught many things, many of them good things, you understand. We learn many good and necessary things in life. But this is the great priority to learn the fear of the Lord. This week we learn that the fear of the Lord is, by definition, a happy fear that draws us to the Lord. Michael Reeves, in his book, Rejoice and Tremble, says the fear of the Lord is the Bible's way of speaking about the sheer intensity of the saint's happiness in God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. 
It's the Bible's way of talking about the sheer intensity of the saint's happiness in God. The fear of the Lord, he says, is about enjoying God's fearfully lovely glory. It refers to a trembling and wonder-filled joy in God. It's not a negative idea. It is a positive one. The fear of the Lord, we learned at camp, was modeled perfectly in Christ himself. And it is what makes heaven to be heaven, that the joy of fearing the Lord will be perfected. John Murray, in describing the joy of fearing God, says, The deeper our apprehension of God's glory, the more enhanced will be our wonderment. Do you have this sense of wonderment? That's the question. He says, It will not be a wonderment of perplexity or horror, but of reverential and exultant adoration. Proverbs 14, 26, and 27 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It is a fountain of life, a fountain of blessing, a fountain of divine favor. And David says, this fear is what I will teach you. I want you to learn to fear the Lord. We will spend the whole of our lives seeking to grow all of us in this fear of the Lord. In verse 9 is David's exhortation, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Let me highlight a few of the things that the fear of the Lord brings for, for you youth, for you young men and women, and for all of us. What are some of the benefits of the fear of the Lord? Okay, I have three of these. First, we are delivered from all other fears. By the fear of the Lord, we are delivered from all other fears. Verse 4, describing his experience, David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 7 <laughs> This should be a little encouraging. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David's personal testimony was that the fear of the Lord delivered him from all other fears. He says, I was hunted by Saul, though I stand before the king of Gath, though armies come against me, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? He had a new fear in his life that was the fear of the Lord, and the result of that fear is that he had nothing left to fear in all of life. The fear of the Lord is an expelling fear, and it is the remedy that we need in a world of fear, which is the world that, that you young people are growing up in. Severe anxiety and fear is skyrocketing among young people. Experts say one in three teenagers now have an anxiety disorder, and it's often accompanied by physical and emotional symptoms. It can be, it can be social anxiety. It can be various forms of depression, uh, self-esteem issues, an excessive sensitivity to the opinion of, of others. All of these are what the world has observed uh, to be the reality among young people today, and people debate the reasons for this great increase. Some people are inclined to, to deny it or to dismiss it altogether, but I don't think that that is right at all. 
there do seem to be factors that are making the rising generation especially prone to, to fear and to fragility and to unruly emotions. Some of it is what our young people are taught, safetyism, fearful parenting, and endless trigger warnings, however well intended they may be, those things are not likely to produce a resilient and thick-skinned generation. And then also there is the reality of the, the, the violence of our world, the evil in our world the bombings and shootings and rioting, the social and political instability of our day. And then I think no small factor is technology and phone use and social media. Spending hours a day on Instagram is probably not going to deepen your fear of the Lord. And it will help you to constantly compare your life and your looks and your relationships and your accomplishments to others, and it will contribute to a sense of general anxiety and failure and fear in life. Don't minimize the impact that the rise of social media can have. Now, here's the thing. The world around us recognizes the problem, but doesn't have any solutions to deal with the problem of fear and anxiety. They talk about avoiding codependency and peer pressure. They talk about cultivating self-esteem, mental health, and so on. I know there are some true insights in psychology and therapy, and so don't mishear me. Yet, ultimately, those techniques are powerless to change us. The way to deal with the fear of the Lord, the way to deal with fear and anxiety in our lives is to fear the Lord. That's the solution. That's the great answer. Seek the Lord. Fear His name. If people are big in our eyes, it's because God is too small in our eyes. And we need a bigger view of the God who has saved us. The only way, the only lasting way to deal with sinful fears and anxieties is to grow in the fear of the Lord. And then that fear of the Lord, what it does is it reorders our passions and desires. It imparts to us strength. It imparts to us resilience. The angel of the Lord <laughs> encamps around those who fear him. And the presence of the angel of the Lord tends to have an effect on the reality of sinful fear and anxiety in our hearts. We should take comfort today to know that God is able to deliver us from every fear. He is a God of might and power, and he's in the business of delivering his people from their fears. A second benefit of the fear of the Lord, point two, we are fully satisfied in experiencing God. According to verses 8 through 10, fearing the Lord means seeking Him and being satisfied in Him alone. Verse 8, it's an exhortation, it's a call to us. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, taste, <laughs> have you ever tasted God? Have you ever tasted the goodness of God? A strange way to put it. Taste is a metaphor for personal experience. It is, 
It is discovering God in such a way that we are satisfied in Him. There is a difference between me looking at a piece of tiramisu, love it, favorite dessert, and actually consuming and tasting and enjoying the tiramisu. I am not satisfied by knowing that tiramisu exists. I need to taste and experience it and savor the goodness of it in order to be satisfied. It's not enough to know God intellectually. It's not enough to know facts about Him. We must know Him spiritually. It's not enough to know God in our minds. We need to know Him in our hearts. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Is, is there in your heart a measure, a degree, not perfected, not the greatest in all the world, but is there a, a felt sense of the Father's love for you in Christ that causes you at times to marvel, that causes you at times to tremble, that causes you at times to be lost in wonder and awe? at this great and glorious God. Verse 9 says that those who fear the Lord, this is, a, this is a, an incredible truth, those who fear the Lord have no lack. And he compares this to a young lion in verse 10. David had experience with lions himself. Here he's saying, even the strongest and most resourceful creature won't be fully satisfied. The young lion embodies the driven and the strong and the fit. This is the energetic, this is the, the powerful, this is the, the competent. Those people represented by the young lion. The, the hustle and grind, be the best, fight for gains. That's the young lion. God says that is not the path of satisfaction in life. Even young lions are going to suffer hunger and have times of dissatisfaction, and we know it from our experience. But, verse 10, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. How, how can we say we lack no good thing? Well, part of the reason is because God knows what is best for us, it is not always good for God to give us all kinds of earthly blessings and riches because these can so easily draw our heart away from God. See, those, at the end of the day, those who fear the Lord have no lack. The reason for that is because we have God himself. And... We find all that we need in this great and glorious God. In the gospel, God gives us himself and Christ is everything to us. And having Christ, we can say, if we have him, we lack no good thing because Christ is all to us. And so some of you, some of you are, are experiencing sorrow and loss and this is a comfort for you. If friends fail you, if parents fail you, if plans for life are frustrated, if you have sickness and poverty, hear this, still you have God. Still you have God and He is enough 
for our souls. There is nothing on earth that we desire besides him. We taste and see that he is good. There is so much provision for us in knowing that the fear of the Lord is life to us and that he satisfies us with his presence and sets his love upon us and gives us a hope and a future. In the fear of the Lord, we are satisfied fully in God. And then third and last point, we are guaranteed a life of flourishing. We are guaranteed a life of flourishing. That is true flourishing. Right after verse 11, where David says, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord, he acknowledges there in verse 12 that we all desire happiness. We we love many days. We want a good and happy life. God created us to seek our own highest happiness. And here, David wisely appeals to that universal desire for happiness and says, he says, listen up, here is the good life. Here is the life of, of true flourishing. This is, the, this is the path that has your best interest in view. And in fact, if you fail to fear the Lord, <laughs> you're not being true to yourself, you are being self-destructive. And you are abandoning the path for which God created you. William Plummer says that, well, he has this simple comment. He says, the sinner himself is the greatest loser by his sin. If you don't fear the Lord, it's not like there is this other path of great joy and flourishing that we're saying, no, you need to live this miserable life of, of treasuring Christ. This is the path of flourishing. This is the path of blessing. And those who abandon Christ, those who fail to trust in Christ, the sinner himself or herself is the greatest loser by his or her sin. So if you do not join those who fear the Lord, you're the biggest loser in that decision. Not your parents, not your friends, not pastors, not the church. It is you. And one of my life goals and it should be yours too, is to not be a big loser. <laughs> and the way to avoid the path of loss and ruin is to fear the Lord. David then lays out, and we can't cover all of this, but he lays out a vision of a life of flourishing that comes from fearing God. The fear of the Lord not only produces inward peace and happiness and fulfillment that is with us in every circumstance, it also creates healthy relationships with others. Verses 13 and 14, avoiding sins of the tongue, which are relationally destructive, hating evil deeds and instead doing good to others, being a peacemaker, seeking peace, all of the relational, so not only in our own hearts and souls, but then relationally, and then this godly fear produces closeness to God as well. Verse 15 says that the eyes and ears of the Lord are set upon us in affection, meaning others may neglect you, others may forsake you, but God will not neglect you. He will never forsake you. 
You are in a loving relationship with him. See, this, the most important difference that the fear of the Lord brings is this. It's in our relationship with God. Here is the great difference between those who have fled to Christ for mercy and those who are far from him. That, and this contrast runs through the remainder of the psalm. Verse 16, the face of the, uh, this is a frightening verse. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Charles Spurgeon on that verse says, those who reject Christ will be checkmated in life and forgotten in death. That's the way of abandoning Christ. Oh, turn from your sin. Turn from a life of rebellion and sin and flee to Christ for mercy and salvation and forgiveness. I can assure you, you do not want to live a life that is set against an almighty God because he will set his face against you. The Lord has resolved, he has promised on his character that the ungodly will not prosper. It's not going to work out. It's not going to end well. This will not go. God personally sets himself against those who do evil. He opposes them with all of his divine effort. Verse 21 says, affliction will slay the wicked and that the wicked will be condemned. They will be judged by God with the judgment that we all deserve for our sins against a holy God. Abandoned by God in affliction. Condemned by God for all eternity is the path for those who forsake Christ and forsake the fear of the Lord. It is not too late for sinners to come to Christ, even this day. He stands with open arms. He welcomes all who know their need for him, who know their need to be forgiven. Notice in this passage, the evil are not contrasted with the morally superior, but with those who are crying out for help. Those who are, who are in need of deliverance, verse 17. It's contrasted with those, verse 18, those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. The righteous are those who know they need a redeemer. And we have a glorious redeemer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to pull yourself together. You need to be brokenhearted and acknowledge that you're not pulled together. That you are a sinner who is in need of the salvation that only God can bring. The language that is repeated throughout the psalm is the language of being saved and delivered. And for those who trust in Christ, for those who fear the Lord, God will deliver us from affliction Verse 19, how does he do that? By using our afflictions for good in our lives, in his good and mysterious providence, and he delivers us from affliction by one day removing all affliction from our lives. I remind you, there will be an end to the trouble. That day is coming. However numerous your afflictions in this life, the Lord will deliver you from them all. Delivered from affliction, and then follow this. He delivers us from condemnation, verse 22. None of those 
who take refuge in him will be condemned. Meaning, you won't be held guilty. You won't be punished for your sins. How does that work? Because there is another who was punished in the place of sinners. He died in the place of sinners for all who trust in him for salvation, to come to him for refuge, to come to him for cleansing, to come to him for the forgiveness of all our sins, that there might be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is life. It is everything to us. It is our hope in life and death. The Lord has delivered us from all our troubles, from every affliction, and from the condemnation we deserve. He, he has redeemed your life at so great a cost to himself. And so, let the humble hear and be glad. Let every one of us look to him and be radiant. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in him all of your days. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. May we be a people who fear the Lord. And actually, what I want to do here as we, as we close is invite the youth up. I want to I share my heart with you more directly. So if you can come stand back, back where you were, campers. I just have a few things I want to share with you. And then we'll close with a song. Yeah, good. Close, please. I don't bite. Thank you. I told you guys at, at uh, youth camp, but wanted to say it again for the, uh, for the whole church here, how much joy you bring, not only me and all the pastors, but this entire church family. We love you very much and have so much joy because of you. And what I said is if everything in the church is the same way that it is now, but we didn't have young people who love the Lord. I don't see how I could possibly be a happy pastor, and I mean it. Uh, so much of my joy is bound up with how, with how you guys are doing spiritually. And so it's why I pray for you, and it's why we, why we labor for your sake, um, and it's why I wanted to share my heart with you now. Um, we have been, see, think about it this way. David escaped that, that crazy situation before a king. What I hope that we understand, and I want to say this especially to those if you feel like, you, like um, the love of God doesn't affect you much emotionally, the reality is we have been rescued and delivered from a far more serious situation in Christ because we, we stand, all, each one of us, as objects of his righteous wrath because of our sins. God's a holy God, you know this, who cannot tolerate sin. And so our, our only hope is this escape that has come through Christ. And I, I wish for each one of you, and it's one of my prayers, that God would press so deeply upon your hearts a sense of just how much he loves you. How much he loves you personally. How much he loves you individually. He gave his 
son in his love for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could take refuge in him. And it's, it's our prayer, it's my desire that you would spend your life even now fearing the Lord. I don't see any reason why you young people can't lead the way in this church and what it means to be a people who fear the Lord. What it means to, and in fact, one of the ways that I've prayed is that the same passion for the Lord and the energy that we experience at youth camp, that there'd be something that all of you would bring into the church of that love for the Lord. Um, God, God's calling you not just to a mountaintop experience. He's call, in fact, now is, when, now is when we say, okay, will this bear fruit in our lives? Um, and we need God more than ever. What I hope, what I want you to hear is not just me and not just the pastor saying, hey, you should fear the Lord. Not even David saying, you should fear the Lord. God's heart for you, God's word to you, he, he, is, he is appealing to you. He's pleading with you, fear me. <laughs> and he's saying that because he has your best interest at heart. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to go the path of folly. He wants you to live for him. And so God stands saying, Fear me and what you will find, and you, I, I invite you to test the Lord in this. Fear him and see if your heart is fully satisfied in him. Those who fear him lack no good thing. And you will have all that you need in life if you take refuge in God. I, over the years, have the, the opportunity to see many young people grow up in the church and there is nothing that is more heartbreaking for me as a pastor than seeing some young people turn their backs on Christ and not live for him. And so I am, I am unashamedly, and it's why I like getting you closer and looking in your eyes, the Lord is after every single one of you. He loves every single one of you. And his desire is that every single young person who is raised in this church would be a trophy of his grace and would model what it means to fear the Lord. This is what God's doing in your life. At youth camp, one of the things that happened, you all tasted and saw that the Lord is good. Didn't you? There was, there was an experience that was there. There's no turning back on that. You have encountered the true and living God. He has caused you to experience him because he loves you and he is working in your life to claim you for himself. And I believe that some of you, Lord willing, many of you, all of you, will be a generation that rises up and then like David will say to others, come magnify the Lord with me. You, you will have such a, a, an effect of, of the glory of the deliverance you've experienced that not only will you praise the Lord, but you will be involved in telling others about this glorious deliverance. Come magnify the Lord. Come rejoice together. This is who God is. This is what he has done. That's what I see, a generation that God is raising up who will worship the Lord and who will take this glorious message of salvation to others, to your friends, to your peers, and to a rising generation. I look at you and my heart is so full of faith um, in, in what God's doing in your lives. Continue to seek him. Those who look to him will be radiant. You will lack no good thing. I can promise you there's so much blessing that is awaiting you as you run wholeheartedly after God. I've heard stories of those who come off of youth camp and it uh, ignites a new passion for the Lord that changes their, the way that they live. And they look back and say, youth camp is the thing, was the, was the turning point in how God worked in my life. 
pray that God uses this youth camp to accomplish that for his glory, that there would be lasting fruit. We're not just looking forward to next youth camp, though we are. We're looking forward to honoring God today and tomorrow and this week and all of our lives living for his glory. All right? I love each one of you. I pray for you. I thank God for you. Let's sing to the Lord, and I'd like to invite everyone to stand.